You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. You are in for a real treat. Today's episode is an interview that Alana and Luke did with Tony Overbay over at the Virtual Couch podcast. If you have not heard of Tony, he has been around for a while and I'm a little giddy and super jealous that Luke and Alana got, like jealous in a good way, got to visit him and interview with him because when I was early on, like early on in my journey to searching for anything that had to do with pornography addiction and and wanting help to understand my ex's addiction, I found Tony's podcast when he like first started, when podcasts were like first becoming a thing. And so hearing him talk about pornography addiction was so validating. And anyway, I just remember thinking at the time, I should send him in my story. Like I should tell him my story. (laughs) And well, maybe I'll still send in my story and maybe I'll have a full circle moment with Tony at some point. But today it is all about Luke and Alana's story. And y'all, this is an amazing episode and I am super happy to introduce it to you today. So enjoy. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified mindful habit coach, a writer. So coming up on today's episode, I have an amazing interview. And it's almost embarrassing to think that the work I do, the couples work that I do, that I really haven't interviewed couples. And so I interview Luke and Alana Gordon, and they are a pretty amazing couple that I had been made aware of from several people because they do a lot of work in the community that I do as well. She is a therapist and she's also been through betrayal trauma. And then Luke is her husband. So then he would be considered the betrayer and Alana the betrayed. And Luke is now doing some relationship coaching, some addiction coaching. And so they're a couple that have really walked the walk. And I do so much couples work. And I do often work in the world of betrayal trauma, whether that's people that have discovered a spouse that is um, turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms at a at an alarming amount or or rate or people that are going through the betrayal from infidelity or there's also a component of betrayal trauma when you wake up to the emotional immaturity in a spouse or the narcissistic traits and tendencies in a spouse where you can also experience that betrayal trauma where you feel like you've handed a lot of trust over to somebody that then has not had your best interest in mind or has not even really been aware of who you are as a person. So the betrayal trauma world runs deep And there is, I had Sam Tielemans on my podcast a few weeks ago, and Sam and I both talked about how we both received our own betrayal trauma training at at the same place. And we've naturally gone through our own path and working with enough couples where we were somewhat surprised to see that we both have veered away a little bit from the training that we received. And we're doing similar training where we're really trying to work with the couple and we're trying to get them to learn how to communicate better because a lot of times that communication or connection or the ability to communicate and really express your true thoughts and feelings and emotions are what leads to turning to those unhealthy coping mechanisms. Individual work needs to be done when people are going through betrayal, trauma, but also starting to put the pieces back together of how to help a couple communicate. So what I love about today's episode, Luke and Alana talk about that entire process. They talk about everything from 
the initial discovery of Luke's, what he will call pornography addiction. He said he was deep into addiction. And then Alana as a therapist, and she had, they had several kids. And I think that she was even about to give birth when one of the discoveries was made. I guess I don't want to give away everything, but it, they go through quite a journey. And it's not one where then everything was just great and easy and uh, everything just seemed to just flow. They went through a lot of bumps in the road. And so I really appreciate where they are at now. And I also appreciate the realness of their story. And there's a part in particular, I took a clip about maybe three or four minute clip, and I'm going to put that up on YouTube at the same time that I release this episode, because it's, they get to a point where Luke is talking about doing his own work and finally being able to do some self-confrontation and being able to maybe really understand where his unhealthy coping mechanisms stem from and doing that work and being encouraged to share some things with Alana that Alana is, and I love the way she talks about this. She in essence says, wait a minute, you can't criticize me or you can't bring any of that into our marriage because you're the one that, that cheated. You're the one that betrayed me. And so then the stuff that she says next is beautiful. And it can, I really feel like it can only be said from the, the place of the person who has been betrayed. And I feel like as I haven't been the betrayer, I haven't been the betrayed. And so while I feel so comfortable in working in this space, you feel it. You feel that in particular connection when Luke and Alana are talking. That video is going to be up on YouTube as a small clip. And then this interview will be there as well if you want to take a look at the interview in video form. And before I get to that really quick, speaking of couples and working with them, I have several recordings now under my belt of the Magnetic Marriage Podcast of doing the actual coaching using my four pillars and differentiation, talking about validation and courage. And uh, do you want love or do you want control? I couldn't be happier with the way that the recordings have gone up to this point. So we still have a lot of people that are reaching out saying that they would be interested in being a couple that will be coached anonymously. And if that is you, if you're on the fence or if you're interested, just send me an email at info at tonyoverbay.com. Or you can go to my website, tonyoverbay.com, and just shoot me a message through the contact form. And if you want to know more about when this podcast will launch, and again, I had an idea what it would look like to, to coach couples, but I just think it's going to be really helpful for people that maybe haven't been to couples therapy before or wonder what that even looks like to just watch or listen, actually listen to these couples. And again, they're anonymous, but the issues they brought into the coaching call so far have just been just we're getting a representation of, I think, about everything that I see in my office and probably a situation that you may be going through, even if you feel like your marriage isn't horrible, but you would like for it to be better. So if you want to know more about when that is coming out, again, it's going to be a subscription-based podcast. It's going to be very affordable. The cost is going to be well under one session of therapy for me for an entire year's worth of access to this podcast. It's going to be the Magnetic Marriage Podcast. Go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter, which I don't do a lot with right now, but you'll be one of the first people to know when that is going to be available. And if you want to get that coaching, then send a message to info at tonyoverbay.com and let me know that you're interested in, and I'll have one of my assistants reach back out to you and, and set that up. So thank you for the feedback that I've already got from that. My, my, my <laughs> try that again. My magnetic marriage workshop is still up there behind a paywall, $19. And then um, my full magnetic marriage course that I created with Preston Pugmire, we're going to have a bit of a, an evergreen course that is going to be up there and it is going to be available for purchase coming up soon. So a lot of really exciting things that have to do with marriage and improving your marriage. So that's coming up. But now let me get to the interview with Luke and Alana Gordon. 
And I realized I didn't talk to you. I didn't tell you a whole lot about him. And I think even at one point in the interview, I say, I'm sure I've covered all of this in the intro. You can find them. And I'll put the links here. And Alana Gordon is the director of Worth. And Worth is Women of Rebirth Therapeutic Healing. A few weeks ago, I talked about going on the Healing with Worth podcast, where I did a very lengthy episode on trauma bonds. And I just, I love that interview because I was just given the space to start literally from the womb on to talk about what creates a trauma bond with an unhealthy person or emotionally immature person. And that started me down this path where actually now I'm working with one of my assistants, Naomi is from that group. And she was one of the people who actually interviewed me on that podcast episode. And then she got me in touch with Luke and Alana. And then we just had an, uh, an amazing experience with this interview. So I'll put the links there if you want to listen more to their podcast on betrayal trauma. And I'll also put a link to their choose recovery services.com as well as healingwithworth.org. And you can find a lot there on men's addiction and also on betrayal trauma. So let's get to that interview with Luke and Alana Gordon. Luke and Alana, welcome to the virtual couch. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and I was talking off the mic. I think that sounds very cool when people say that. But I was admitting to Luke and Alana that I'm 340 episodes in. I don't feel like I've done one where I've had a couple come on to tell their story. And I've had a couple of betrayal trauma experts. And I've done a lot of episodes around pornography. But I feel like this is a very new experience. And I'm, I'm so excited. And I had vulnerably asked Luke and Alana if they wouldn't mind driving, even though I, I'm no egomaniac and saying, this is my show. So you must answer questions the way I like. You guys mentioned you've told your story. I think, uh, Luke, you had mentioned about a million times, right? We'll, we'll try to see if we can get something new in there. That'll be my hope or my goal. So how does the story, where do you guys start? Feel free to, to start wherever you want. Well, first of all, if you've had, if you've done this many, and this is your first time with a couple, hopefully after us, you'll want to do a couple again. True. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah. Alana, any particular place do you want to start? Do you want me to start? I think just starting with, we, we got married and for years, everything on the surface looked great. We were both happy. We were chugging along. About eight years into the marriage, it came out that Luke had looked at pornography. Okay. Didn't surprise me. And, I and why was figured that? all. Yeah. Why was it didn't surprise you? Did you see signs leading up to it, Alana? Or had, been, had there been things that you had? I, no. Okay. No, I didn't see any signs. It wasn't something that was really on my radar. Okay. I wasn't too concerned about it, but I grew up with five older brothers. Mm. And so I just kind of had this idea in my head of, you know what, guys struggle sometimes. And if it comes up, you just deal with it. You move on. And so about eight years into our marriage, when it came out, I was upset because he had been hiding it. But I basically had this mentality of, we'll go fix it. Okay. Go off. You take care of it. You go fix it. Don't talk to me about it. Okay. And maybe, uh, and I, I mean, tell me that oh, it's all taken care of or it's, it's, it is no more. Was that uh, the expectation? Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the expectation was, is, and Luke, you can talk about this, but he basically said, okay, now that it's all out, it's over. Yeah. Like I've hit it for so long now that I've shared it, I'm never going to do it again. And that sounded good to me. So we just kept going along. I would check in with him probably every six months and just say, Hey, how you doing with this? Good. Doing good. Doing good. And we went that way for another six years. 
Okay. And in 2014, everything changed. The whole story came out, and that is when we kind of look at our story really starting. Okay, and I appreciate it. So maybe if you're okay, I'll go back and do a little bit of framework, and then we'll, we'll get to that 2014. I am curious, and first of all, I will hope that I will have mentioned this in the intro, but you guys are both mental health professionals, correct? Yeah. Okay, when did you start practicing? Was it before you were married or after you were married? Or tell me about that. So, Alana, do you want to describe your role, and then I'll describe mine? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a marriage and family therapist today. I was in school when everything came out, Mm -hmm. but I was on a different trajectory. I had a different idea of where my life was going to go. But after going through all of this, it kind of shifted me. Wow. And so now marriage and family therapists is specializing in betrayal trauma and sexual addictions. Okay. So that wasn't, where were you heading before this all came out? What was your career trajectory? What were you thinking about? I did I was going to be a nurse. Okay. So totally different career. I, I, I joke that same type of career, instead of helping people and fixing bodies, now I'm fixing brains and emotions. So oh, no, I love it. I do. And then Luke, what were you doing? Tell me about your career path. So I've spent a lifetime in cells, you know, served an LDS mission, didn't have any idea. Blue collar family, grew mm-hmm. up where my dad's a diesel mechanic, my grandpa's a farmer, mm-hmm. blue collar. Got off a mission and some company out there decided it was the best thing to do ever to hire a missionary yes. to, to sell stuff because of their thick skin. So I found out I had a knack for it early on and I really enjoyed it. And I think a lot of that sells autonomy led into a lot of freedom, but got me into trouble. Mm. Also fed into my ego. I just didn't help with things that had to do with my addiction. So as soon as 2014 hit and our life started to look a lot different, I started I don't know, after a couple of years, two or three years, I'm like, you know what? I'm really enjoying spending time talking to men in this, in this, I don't know, in this environment. So I, I decided to go be a, a therapist. Uh, I wanted to be a therapist. So I went back to school to go on that path. And then along the journey, one of my mentors said, you know, Luke, before you get there, you could actually do some coaching around mm-hmm. this, you know, some addiction recovery coaching. And and I said, I don't know if I could do that. I don't think anybody's going to want to take mop up what I'm spilling besides just a casual conversation. But anyway, it turned into something. And, and I actually didn't become a therapist and just spent my whole entire time on betrayal, trauma, addiction, recovery coaching. Okay. So that's what I do now. No, I love, I, and Kate, and as a, as a fellow therapist, I did 10 years in a different career and then changed. And I do find that to those of us that then find our way into the field, I don't know. I don't know if you guys just, you eat it, you drink it, you sleep it. I mean, you found your thing. Okay. I love that because uh, I have a, a, so many people that listen will end up emailing me and, and talking about entering the mental health field because of the things they've been through. And I think that is that the, they make the best mental health professionals. Now I had to, uh, name dropping Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She was on a couple of weeks ago and we were talking though about, okay, we both went into it hearing that people would go become a therapist to work on their own stuff. And we were both saying, well, not me, but until then I realized, oh, 100% me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was absolutely. So I love hearing your guys' story with that too. When did you get married? Uh, 2002. Okay. So 2003, yep, we got married. And I would just say to add on to the beginning of a lot of story, when we met each other, it was best friends for sure day one you know we clicked at a whole nother level i think both of us just really really enjoyed being around each other but at that point in my life just getting off of a mission not necessarily being very 
I didn't have a high self-esteem. I didn't have a high level of self-worth because of addiction mm-hmm. still being in place on my mission and still being. So definitely feeling in a place of a life of duplicity. Okay. So when I got when I found Luana and got into that relationship, it was really just head over heels over her, but not really sure of myself or my foundation. So such so much of my self-worth was coming from that relationship. But because I was used to a life of duplicity, as soon as I got married and my past with pornography entered the marriage and I wasn't used to active truth telling, uh-huh. there was no way I was going to show, share the truth um, yeah. once. And, and once look, it entered into marriage. And look, were you the classic, when you get married, I'm sure it will all go away. And you For look sure. at that. Yeah. yeah marriage will fix it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah that'll, yeah, marriage that, that'll will fix it. And yeah. I think I was, I was definitely an always get caught kind of person compared to actively coming and telling somebody. Mm. So as soon as it got in the marriage, I was just convinced that Alana would, I, I don't know what she would do, but I was, it wasn't going to be good. So I, I hit it from the very beginning and never disclosed it. That 2006, 2007 experience that Alana spoke to, yeah. I was already at that point, unfortunately, in the throes of addiction, um, acting out with other people at work, strip clubs, massage parlors, all that stuff. It, pornography was an insatiable disease for me. It wasn't just a little bit. It was a lot. So definitely two different lives going on. So when she, when it came out in 2006, 2007, I was not in the space where I was going to share anything above what I was caught with. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was going to, so when she said, Hey, go get yourself fixed. I'm like, okay, that was scary enough. I just will never do that other worse stuff again that she doesn't know about. But I pretty much, dedicated myself to just taking it to the grave. Yeah. Just that. Cause I had no, I didn't see how I keep my family so selfish, so self-centered, but just that's the way my life had been up to that point. And I appreciate the way you're framing that too, Luke. And Alana is a betrayal trauma therapist too. I, I know we talk so often about the concept of disclosure and I'm just speaking this, I think to the, the universe. I know that when this happens, no one presses the pause button and then goes and tries to figure out, okay, what's the very best way to make this D-Day or whatever that looks like happen. And Luke, I had Jeff Stewart on and we were talking about people just, they do, they give as little as they can. And whether it's Luke coming from a place of, I don't want to hurt her or I don't want to deal with all of this. And so that staggered disclosure is such a normal part of this process. And so there's a part of me that, that has, I've had a couple of people respond when they've heard a couple of the episodes about betrayal that are ready to confess or talk to their spouse. I almost want to put a pause here and say, Alana, do you have advice for someone? Let's say it's somebody that's in Luke's position that's hearing this and is then mustering up the courage that is going to open up or confess this to a spouse. What advice would you give about that confession? Oh, that's a good question. Everyone's story is so different, Mm. but the thing that I wanted more than anything in the world was just the truth. Okay. I told him, I said, I can handle probably just about anything, Mm -hmm. but what I can't handle is the lies. And that was more damaging than anything else. Now you've heard his laundry list. There was a lot that I had to work through and heal from, but at its foundation, it was that lying and that secrecy that was so hurtful and so painful. And so I just, I just wanted the truth. Well, I appreciate the way you're saying that too. And what Luke's saying where the, the addict typically does not want to share everything. You know, they're going to go to the grave. And Alana, I, when you're saying, I just wanted the truth. Yeah, it's so interesting because in 2014, Luke was caught again. Mm-hmm. 
And when he shared at this point about some of the other people, and he still even then only gave me part of the truth, and that was him really trying to own it. Mm-hmm. But there was so much self-deception for so many years that he didn't even have consciously aware all of the layers and levels. And so my advice is work with a professional. Yes. Do a full disclosure because it slows the process down. It really allows you to go through and make sure we're not missing these pieces because even with him trying I still got that staggered disclosure okay. for months. And every time it just felt like you were hit by the bus again, hit by the bus again. And so for my couples who now, and I was one where I'm like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I couldn't get enough information. Mm-hmm. But when I'm working with the betrayed who's saying, just tell me, tell me, tell me, I'm really working with them on trying to slow them down. Yeah. Because there's certain pieces of information you can't unhear. And Luke didn't know or have the skills to know what was helpful and what was actually really painful and harmful. And so having a professional help him know what to share, how to share, was actually really healing for both of us. I remember, this is what, this is what went through my mind. Okay, so 2014 hit. It was 8-11 in the morning on a Thursday, 2000, June 26, 2014. I get an email from Alana that's titled us. And she says in this email, she's like, Luke, I know you're back into pornography. I'm aware of it. And uh, she said other things like, have you been to strip club? Have you ever cheated on me? Uh, obviously she found a history that made her go like something's going on here. And she said, I can take anything, but I can't take the lies. And I held on to that so tightly. And I went, she said, I can take anything, but I can't take the lies. I am going to take this opportunity to share with her the truth mm-hmm. Which was interesting because I didn't have my head wrapped around the truth at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I went home and shared with her, and all of a sudden I found stuff coming out of my mouth, and I'm like, because she started to ask questions, and I started to give her numbers. I started to give her people, and I was just like, oh, crap. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to accurately give her everything that she needs. Mm -hmm. So I left the house that day. She broke into a million pieces. And I found myself in the next couple of days going like, oh, you're not even close to sharing everything. And I felt in my brain like, Luke, if you don't get it all out, you're going to hold on to pieces and parts. And you're going to go back to the life you used to live. Mm. But I didn't really know how. The funny thing was, is back in 2007, when everything came out about the pornography use, I found myself in a therapist's office thinking to myself, I really, really want to share everything but I don't know how to. I remember asking the therapist this. I said, hey, can I share with you? I was so scared to say this. Can I share with you? What can I share with you and you not tell anybody else? Mm-hmm. What can you share and not tell anybody else? And she goes, well, if it's illegal, I have to share other, share it with other people. And I'm like, I don't know if I, what I've done is illegal or not. Like, this lady might call the cops mm-hmm. like on me. I don't know what's going to happen. So I didn't share because I didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. So... You didn't ask me, Tony. You asked Alana, but I'm going to go ahead and share if you don't mind. Yeah. What would you tell other people? Yes. I would say to become truthful, you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You have to have somebody that can help you become truthful and get clarity on your experience. And speaking to the spouse, the betrayed, my invitation is, is if, if your husband has been 
has lacked truth and integrity in his life, he's going to need a professional to help him find the yeah. truth. And I just understand, and I have so much empathy for you, that you want it so badly. But give him up to somebody else to have him find the truth so you can get it for yourself and let go of that process of, of needing that. And I don't know how hard that is. So much love and so much empathy for that for you. Yeah. Luke, what I like about that is because we all three work in this space. I intentionally say this. We're going to intentionally kick that can down the road. I like what Alana said about the you can't unhear certain things. Luke, I really appreciate your perspective of you didn't know how to fully um, open up because, boy, I feel like we probably all had this experience. I just shared on the an episode last week, I was talking about implicit and explicit memory, the landscape of what it feels like to be you. And I was talking about how I become fascinated by what we do for a living. We see certain patterns over and over. And the person that is expressing themselves doesn't even know that that we know that they may not be being open or truthful. And and I talk about this. I've got a dentist friend who I say, when the guy says to you, yeah, I floss and you see those puffy gums, you know, he doesn't floss, you know, that happened that morning, but he doesn't really know how confident you are that, you know. And so what I like Luke is when you're saying that you weren't even sure how to open up, I feel like we've probably all been in that position where somebody's laying out a narrative and you can say, okay, wait, wait, go back to this. And you watch, I think that moment where I don't know if you guys are familiar with the concept of it's called confabulation, which is this emotional, immature, narcissistic confabulation is changing that narrative in real time to fit who I feel like I'm supposed to be. And I feel like, I feel like that, yeah, that confabulation piece is wild because you watch it with interrogation videos. I'm obsessed with those. Or when somebody really is, is hit with this moment of accountability, they confabulate in real time. And I feel like that, man, Luke, the way you're laying that out, I've never thought of it that way of not even being sure how to do this and knowing the professional does can help. So I I appreciate that so much. You know, and even as a professional, oh, go ahead, Alana. Well, I was just going to say, it's so interesting because you asked me earlier, Tony, you said, did I have any signs? And the first time everything came out, the answer was no. Because at that time, I, I was really naive, and I can see now I was really in denial. I was not ready to know or see. The second time in 2014, he's telling me all of these crazy things. And while I am utterly shocked at the same time, it just, I kept going, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. And so now I was willing and ready to see, and I could go back and All of the signs were there. There was so much pieces that all of a sudden were just beginning to fall into place. A, because I was willing and ready to see them. And B, just like you said, these things were happening. I just didn't have an understanding or a narrative to make sense of them. Okay. And what I love, I got a little chills there because I love when all the pieces come together in new ways I hadn't thought of. I mean, we all confabulate to a point. It's the, well, no, that can't be what's happening. That doesn't fit my narrative of what the relationship would be like. And so I feel like so often early in relationships where we're absolutely given the person, I must have not seen that right. Or I must have not done that. So I love your explanation there too. I go too much to this hack bit of the what is the Bruce Willis movie, The Sixth Sense, where you find out at the end, spoiler alert for 30-year-old movie, that yeah. right, that he was uh, dead the whole time. And then when you go back through the movie, it's, oh, yeah. So I feel like, Ilana, maybe what you're doing, so <laughs> yeah, right? And then you're like, okay, like so, so when you did this, that was, okay, I gotcha. Okay, so then, uh, man, thank you. I really, I appreciate the way this is laying out. So then where do we go from here? 
You know, I think processes are just along the journey yeah. of after 2014, okay. you know, what it, what it would look like a little bit for us. You know, so I get it. What, what I end up doing is, is getting a, um, I recognize that I need to get all of the truth out. Mm -hmm. And I haven't found a therapist yet at that point. Uh, it took me about six weeks to find a therapist. I had about six weeks of, of going to a, an addiction recovery group, a 12 step mm -hmm. group for the, from the church, from our church. And going like, okay, I don't know what to do, trying to work my path. And so I get out a piece of paper and I write down everything that I can possibly remember. And I remember at that moment, I wrote down places, I wrote people down, I wrote frequency, just trying the best I can. I remember sending it to him, sending this, sending this piece of paper to Alana via email. I scanned it in and I sent it to her. And that was similar to the first experience. I'm like, Luke, you're killing your marriage when you hit send. Mm. Luke, you're killing your marriage once you say you were unfaithful. And I remember sending it and Alana getting it. We were so on our own in that part of the journey. And I remember just like Alana said, nights and days and phone calls of her digging out of me truth. Uh -huh. Like that, I mean, Alana, you were fighting so hard for truth. And I'm just like, I already told you the truth. I already told you the truth because all I did was gave her the big stuff. Yeah. And I was blown away, Tony, and confused. No, blown away is not the right word. So confused of why the little details mattered. Okay. I'm like, you know the big stuff, so why are we focused on these little details? You're just hurting yourself, right? And we spent so much energy from a lack of having a professional through those first six weeks trying to figure out what was going on in our lives at that point. What I appreciate about that is Alana, as therapist and somebody who's been through that, I mean, I would love to hear what your experience is there because I do find, and I, that's why I so appreciated when you said you can't unhear certain things because I feel like I often, when even trying to kick that can down the road where the spouse just wants to drop into that question mode, and I often say there's a fascinating book called On Being Certain, which says that our brain craves this certainty and that it feels like it knows what the feeling of a math problem feels like. I know what two plus two is four feels like, so I would really like that for this situation. And almost every question is me saying, maybe this will get it, maybe this will get it, maybe this will get it. Was that your experience? Do you feel like there's some truth there? Yes, and I felt like... Every little bit of information I got created some sense of safety. Oh, okay. So I had this like dual experience okay. where like on one hand I'm going, okay, that helps. I need to know that. And on the other hand, I'm literally shaking uncontrollably. Mm. Like my hands are shaking and my body is shaking and I'm having a trauma response. I didn't wow. know that at yeah. the time, but being so incredibly cold and shaking, but at the same time saying, give me more, give me more. So on one hand, I, it was so torturous. And on the other hand, that was me trying to seek for safety. And it was really interesting. At the time, I just felt like I was going crazy because I went from being this really on top of my life mm -hmm. in control, confident woman to what felt like overnight, I was a puddle. Oh. I, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't talk straight. I remember... For like six months, my kids ate cold cereal because I I couldn't cook food. I remember the first time making a grocery list and just sobbing because I was capable of making a grocery mm. list. And so this massive shift, what's interesting is because I was kind of confident and feeling like I was in control of my life, the timing of when everything came out, I find really interesting because I was two weeks away from having a baby and 
he moved out. I said, you have to okay. go right after everything came out. So I have this newborn baby, baby number five. So I have five wow. kids. I'm living alone with a newborn. I've got all of the hormones and I have all of this trauma. And I really look back and because it really was absolutely more than I was capable of handling that forced me to say, this is too much. I have to get help. Okay. I'm the type of person where I would have been like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going, I'm going crazy, but I'm fine. And I look back with, I don't know if gratitude's the right word, but I look back with some level of gratitude that the timing of it kind of forced me to say, this is too mm-hmm. much. And I need a professional because me trying to, power through yeah. and say, I'm fine. All it was doing was prolonging the pain, oh. getting with a professional who gave me permission to say, Hey, you're not crazy. This is, you're having a trauma response, PTSD, the same mm-hmm. PTSD, the nightmares, the flashbacks, all of these things that are happening is the same type of PTSD that people who are in car accidents or go to war. Mm-hmm. So you're not crazy. And there are steps that you can start healing. So let me start walking you through it. That was so essential. I bet. How often were you meeting with a, with a therapist at that point initially? In the beginning, I was about every other week, mm-hmm. but I was going to two different types of groups oh, okay. every week, one with a therapist and one just a church support uh-huh. group. So on average, it was two to three times a week that I was getting support. Okay. And then were you also, and I, and if you maybe give me a minute on that too, because I feel like sometimes people feel overwhelmed with all of the data, but then I feel like, boy, that is so helpful as well. I, I don't know. Were you able to find that balance? It, it, there were periods of both. Okay. There were times where I just could not read enough or get enough information because any type of information you get, you're becoming more empowered. Mm-hmm knowledge is power. And it gave me understanding. Like it started making him make sense and what he was doing makes sense. And it helped me make sense of my experience. But then there were other times where it was just a lot and I needed to just sit down on the path, not unpack and live in one spot. But there was times where I just had to just let it be okay that right now I just need to breathe and not do anything other than just take care of me and my kids. Yeah. And I, and I would go back and forth between both of those. How long was that period where you guys were separated? Four months, three months. Yeah, three or four months. We ended up moving, okay. so that caught that end of the separation. Uh-huh. Yeah. What was that like mm-hmm. for you, Luke, during that time? I mean, because is there that, I appreciate when you're saying, you know, you're still trying to unpack things, figure yourself out. Did you feel that, in essence, though, that relief as well as things were out? Or were you feeling, what were your feelings? No. Okay. No, there was there was definitely no relief. The minute things left my mouth, um, it was like, "What did you do?" Like, I can't oh believe. yeah, this is as bad as you thought it was going to be. Like, there was no relief for a period of time. So, really quickly, what happened was, so my life was really just made up of making other, just making sure other people liked me and yeah. saw me in a certain light. And I was, for the first time, really in my life, I think gone. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. you have no control anymore of what people, how people see you. They see exactly what you were afraid of. So uh, I think this, like Alana said, timing was really important here for me because my job wasn't going that well. Um, I wasn't that happy with just a lot of different things in my life. Our marriage wasn't that, it was, was struggling in some areas. So timing mattered. So when she said, hey, Luke, I, I want you to leave. I want you out of the house. 
I was like, yeah, makes sense. I'm out of here. But I'm like, I don't know where to go. Mm. So there was a period of time where I was kind of homeless, wow. as in packing up all my clothes, getting in my car. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going right now. Yeah. Like, I don't have anywhere to go. Find a hotel for a week to then finding a wonderful man who will forever be indebted to him that gave me his basement to live in. And it was a dark basement and just really humble circumstances for what I was used to. And that part of the journey was, was really, really important for me to go from a place of being completely in control of my narrative to no control of my narrative. Everybody knew what was going mm. on and really helpful. Okay. Okay. And I was going to say that, that word was so helpful. I was going to say, how hard was that? Did you go to, did, would you spend periods in shame? I mean, was there, was the temptation stronger or sometimes I talk about clients having the, you know, the scared straight period. Yeah. So they, they have a little bit of runway there. What was that like for you? Yeah. that's the, that's, that's a good way to put it to me. I love that. Yeah, definitely scared. I think the straight part was, I had no desire to touch my addiction at all. Okay. Like I remember probably about two months in, the first time I felt tinge of <clears throat> wanting to experience masturbation mm -hmm. and I scared the crap out of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I must be right back into uh -huh. it. I was so afraid at any moment I was going to go back into my addiction because I'd never been free of it long, long enough for it. So I was scared straight in that fact, but I also recognized as I can look back, you know, there was no going to be scared straight where I could just have a bad enough experience that I was going to ever go back, but it gave me the runway I needed to get time to rewire yeah. my brain in certain areas and come up with something to fill the hole. So it was a lot of work that needed to be done. And that's what scares me about so many men that I'm around. They have that fear. They have that horrible experience, but literally nothing's changing. They're just going like, well, I'm good now. Like, I'll, I'm never going to do that again. And I'm like, oh, I mean, right there. That's not possible. Yeah. I, that's I say, I want to, I want to intentionally take what you just said there and we're clipping this bad boy and putting this wherever we can, because I feel like that is, I still remember one of the first people I ever worked with when I didn't know what I was doing. And just knowing that that boy, knowing at that point, a guy coming into the office saying, look, no, I'm, I'm caught. I get it. We're good. And I really, I don't want to hear, I don't want her to keep on me about it. It's out. We're done. You know, I'm okay. And I remember so brand new going like, okay, well, he seems like he gets it. So that's cool. Right. But, you know, and now knowing, oh no, 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 that, that runway now, boy, you got to work your butt off to, to build those tools yeah. and skills. And I like what you said that you got to start rewiring that brain. So that's why I like that. When I refer to that, you got this scared straight path and I feel like it has a, I don't know, it has a finite amount of time and you better make good use of that. So yeah. yeah. I remember the only place that I would feel peace or hope was in my therapist's mm. office. And I was like, I remember going, can I meet with you like twice a week? Can we do longer than an hour? Because that's the only yeah. place I felt any type of direction, peace, hope. And it was so, and he's, he's like, oops, it's okay. Slow down. You got a mountain to move and you got a spoon to do it with. Oh, I like that. You know, and I just, I so appreciated him because there was so much accountability. There was so much, I could, it was totally a safe environment to show up and say whatever I could. I could be scared i could be angry i could be i could have a ton of shame oh shame yeah so this is the part when i remember not knowing this word at all and i remember the only one of the only times i was angry with god okay which in my account sound of funny that i was angry with god uh -huh. but i'm like i started to identify shame was the thing that would held me captive and kept me in secret and i'm like why did god allow this feeling that I couldn't give a name to exist. Oh. Why did he allow me to have a feeling that would keep me in hiding? I remember, just being like, I remember calling Alana and just being like, 
just when I talked like furious, like just, just about this feeling that I had just being so angry about it. And then I remember my pathway being devoted to uncover what this was all about and realizing something very, very beautiful was on this pathway of becoming known. And Tony, you know, what's funny because my number one thing in my life is I love it when people say, Hey Luke, you're good enough or you're awesome or you're cool. Like I get so much dopamine from that experience. Like it's amazing. Yeah. And realizing that it was so not going to be something sustainable and hiding, but I would get that same experience of Luke, you're cool. I like you when I was the most vulnerable, when I let the more walls down than anything, and then it finally becomes sustainable. You know, it's interesting. I just was uh, looking at literally this morning. I know, I think I was, when I was looking at Alana, maybe in your background, do you have some EMDR training as well? Do you, is that? I do brain. Oh, brain. Okay. I love yeah. it. So I was looking at the, some of that and, and when Luke was talking and I think for people that haven't been, and I just pulled this up, I had, I had written this down on some of my notes, but just talking about you know, initial talk therapy where people would feel this positive relationship with the therapist. And so then they're able to basically express a negative event in the safety of somebody that's, that is, that cares or is there for them. And that that is this whole new process. And it was talking about how, boy, that can be something pretty powerful. And then things like brain spotting, EMDR, those then can just bump that up next level. And so I really like the way you shared that, Luke. And I think we have had all, probably all of us had those experiences where the person does want to meet more often. And, and, you know, and, and I love that, but then I wonder if sometimes, yeah, that's the new dopamine bump is the Right, exactly. Right. So true. Yeah. So true. No, that's a good point. And then, uh, so how were you guys interacting when you were part of that four months? Were you communicating very much at that point? That's a good question. In the beginning, I was in so much pain. So there was that season of me asking a million questions. I would say that lasted a week or two. And then I realized and could see how painful his presence was to me and how every time he came around my whole body was just having massive fight flight or freeze. okay and it would alternate on which one showed up and so I went no contact in the beginning we switched to where I just said we can contact around the kids but I can't see you I can't hear from you I need no contact he did ask he said can I write you letters oh, okay and I said well I don't know if I'll read them but you can email me. And if I read them, I read them, but I refuse to respond to them. What he didn't know at the time is I read every single letter. I was searching through them, trying to see, is there change? Can there even be change from this? And those letters also gave me insight into his book. Uh. And on one hand, they were helpful, but on the other, well, they're helpful in both ways. But I could see in his writing, while he was in the depths of his own despair, I could see how broken, mm. how much of a bigger deal this really was that I didn't know. Okay. And it was giving me insights that were very uncomfortable, but very important because it allowed me some more kind of a reality check that this isn't, if you stay in this marriage and I did not expect to stay okay. in the marriage. I actually, like a year and a half in, said, the pain is too much. I want a divorce. I'm okay. done. And it was probably a good two years before I really chose to stay in the marriage. And I would say even maybe four years before I really emotionally gave oh, wow. everything to the marriage. Yeah. So it was a long journey. But 
as I was going through this period of seeing where he was, it allowed me to have a more realistic idea or clarity of how much healing he needed to Mm. do. Because I wanted him to hear a podcast and then all of a sudden that area of his life is fixed. And then he hears this and now he's good. And I was, I was so mad at him so many times and so impatient with him when he wasn't just figuring this out. I needed so much patience in this journey Mm. for his recovery Yours for mine, and I, I really struggled. Oh, I can't. I, oh, can I yeah, please do. I can't imagine like, that. Yeah, I still get goosebumps here, and I want to talk about that stuff, and I just love it, and I hated it so much. Then, when she said, "Luke, I don't want any contact," and subconsciously, I'm like, "Well, Luke, that means it'll never work out because if you can't be there to show you how you're healing and getting better, this isn't going to work." Yeah. So, I think my sending letters was my attempt to maintain some type of control. Mm. You know, and I remember literally the first email, oh, so painful. I sent to her and I said, Alana, I'm sending you this email. And I said something like, I know you left. I know when you let me back. Or, or, what did I say, Alana? I know when you let me back or I know you left me. And you said, let me be very clear in the response. I did not oh. leave you. You left us. Okay. Yes. You told everybody at work that I kicked you out. He went around and he was... I call it playing the oh, I was, part, yes. but he was getting oh, sympathy. Okay. So he told everyone, my wife kicked me out. My wife kicked me out. And I, I said, just like you said, Luke, let me make it very clear. Your choices are the reason you're gone. Yeah. You made this choice. You left our family. I did not own that. Okay. What, what I think is so fascinating is when Alana was telling that, I almost jumped in and I thought, well, no, it must not be this way. Because I was going to say when Alana's reading the letters, I feel like, oh, yeah, is she seeing emotional immaturity? Is she seeing a victim stance? Or is she seeing, I realize this is me. And, and so that's where I feel like even uh, being able to know what to look for there of where there's the passive aggressive uh, taking ownership. So you were watching that whole process as well. Yes. And I love that you just highlighted that because... Exactly. There was no awareness of my pain. It was, this was so hard for him. And he did apologize, but it still always came back to him. He wasn't capable of seeing yet. He wasn't capable of seeing beyond himself and his pain and his experience. And that emotional maturity was just covered in those pages. Mm. And so when Luke says it's it's uncomfortable, like both of us, we go back and look at those emails or those journal oh entries. Oh. Yeah, it's it's pretty cringeworthy. It's, it's gross. It's gross. Okay. I don't mean to laugh and snort, it's but so cringeworthy funny. and gross now. But I, what a role that played, it sounds like, throughout that initial process. I, and Alana, I could see that distance being detrimental or, or possibly the end of the marriage as being that way. But I'm just like, no, that's exactly what we needed. Because... I had to be alone with myself when she wouldn't be around. And I hated that yeah. so much. I hated being by myself with my thoughts and my experiences and my past. What'd you do with that? Yeah. Where, where, where'd they go? And what'd you do with that? It's just so heavy, so dark. Yeah. And I'm like, just, I hated myself so much. Yeah. I remember looking in the mirror going like, I didn't like to look in the mirror at myself and like in, in the eyes before D-Day. And after D-Day, it was that much harder. And I remember one time getting up in the morning, not wanting to do life and looking in the mirror and going, who is this guy in the mirror? Mm. And I really needed to find that out. And that was the journey. And I needed to be alone 
with God, with other individuals, not alone alone, but alone with with the outcome to really understand what was going what was going yeah, on. Yeah, and I know you guys have some programs and we'll we'll talk about those too. I know the people that listen to my podcast and in my recovery work I talk about and what I appreciate what you just said there, Luke, because I talk about the people have these voids I basically identify of you know, they typically don't feel connected as a parent in their marriage and their faith and their health and in their career. And so really trying to find those things out to then help people turn toward living that more of a whole life versus the turning to the unhealthy coping mechanism. So how did you find yourself? What did you do during that time? Searching for the truth, looking at my past, my history, going through and and seeing that, going through some family of origin stuff, seeing how my family of origin affected my behavior, how I showed up in my life. I just remember hearing my therapist say for the first time, Hey Luke, you're not your choices. Mm -hmm. When I said, I said, in my mind, I'm like, no, you're wrong. That's not true. I am my choices. You are what you eat. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, but I said, I hope, and I'm not taking the Lord's name Mm -hmm. in vain. I'm actually talking to him. I said, I hope to God you are right. Mm -hmm. I said, I hope to God you are right. That I am not my choices. I'm not my behavior. And that was that process of learning to be alone, to see my behavior and the figuring out and not having a lot of there to reassure me that yeah. I'm good or I'm bad or telling me that I'm bad or needed to build strength within myself. So moving away from that, I, I often talk about the concept of external validation, right? When we need somebody else to make us feel better, I often joke that the chance they're going to say that right thing is pretty slim. And then I get to say they don't care about me and I'm a piece of garbage. So when we're looking for a life full of external validation, man, that is some shaky ground. So being okay with yourself. Yeah. How long did that process take for you to feel like you were, you had felt pretty comfortable with yourself? Well, I think I'm still going through it. I think I've got eight years, over eight years into this thing. And, and I made a lot of, it's been a hockey stick thing. It took a little while and now it's, well, it's kind of the opposite of a hockey stick. It was learning a lot of her, you know, about shame, about mean enough, other people seeing him being a nice guy. I like the nice guy. No yes. The nice guy, that fits a lot for me. <laughs> but still, I'm constantly needing to be aware of why I do what I do. Am I doing it for other people? Am I doing it for my image? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I doing it so I'm well-liked? Or am I, can I look inwardly and realize I'm enough outside of what other people say? Yeah. You know, and, and wanting to be authentic. And I appreciate this world because Tony, you and, Alana and I are here talking about the value of authenticity, and I believe that, but I have to come back to that over again and remember why I believe mm. it, because I'll get off from yeah. it. Yeah, okay, so. and then, no, like, that makes a lot, that does make it, and I appreciate you saying that it's this constant journey, because I feel like I have to continually look through this lens of, am I doing something from a healthy ego, or am I still looking for validation? Because if we are, then I'm. Mm-hmm. Then am I still looking to say the right thing? Did, what do they think? Or So, Alana, what's that, what was that like for you? Because I deal with so many of the women who are the betrayed? And then just did you continue to experience the those emotional ups and downs? Or were you know, were dates hard for you? Or what were some of those triggers that were really difficult? And and how did you work with those? Oh, I feel like triggers is a whole nother like you could do yeah. a whole episode on just triggers. You could do a whole series on triggers. But triggers were in the beginning they were every day, multiple times a day. With time, triggers would decrease. But the thing with triggers is you never knew yeah, where they were going right. to come. So some you could go in knowing, okay, this is going to be hard. I can prepare myself. But a lot of the triggers, you would see a purple pen and a purple pen would link to something and link, link, mm. link, link, link in my brain in a millisecond. And all of a sudden, either tears are streaming down my face or I'm shaking or I'm really angry and I couldn't make sense of it. 
And so that journey of really learning how to work through the triggers, gaining awareness of I am triggered, it it felt like in the beginning, I was just like one constant mm-hmm. trigger. And then with time, those started separating with more and more and more distance. And if you've ever heard the analogy of the box and the paint mm-hmm. button, it's this concept where you have this box. I'm going to try to do it for those who are just okay. listening and make sense of it. But you have this box and inside the top of the box is a okay. pain button. And the pain button is just sitting there on the top of the box. And when you're first going through all of this, you have this giant ball in the box. And the ball barely shifts before you're hitting the pain Mm. button. And so pain buttons hit, pain buttons hit all of the time. And as you heal, we have this idea that that pain button should decrease. Like that pain button should get smaller and smaller. But it's not actually the pain button that decreases. It's Mm. the ball. And so as the ball oh, decreases, like the that. frequency in which it hits that pain button decreases. But every time that pain button hits, it felt like I was on okay. day number one. And I would go, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? I'm back at the beginning because it feels just as painful. And that felt so jarring. But with time where I could start learning, no, my ball is getting smaller And every time that pain button is hit, I have to use my tools and I have to be really gentle with myself. But the time that that pain button stays lit also decreases. And so even today, we're eight years in. I don't remember when my last trigger was, but if I were to guess maybe two or three months ago, something triggered something. And all of a sudden that pain button was hit. All of those feelings come rushing in. In the beginning where I would sit in that and spin for weeks, now I can go, whoa, hold on. I recognize that feeling. Okay, what just was hit? What's happening? Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense that we hit the pain button. And now I can work through that. But we tend to have this idea that pain button is supposed to just be gone. It just, if I still have a pain button, something's Mm -hmm. wrong with me. And I, the reality is, is I just have a pain button. And now I forget the pain button is even there, but when it gets hit, it's like, okay. oh yeah. There's oh, I love button. that analogy. I've never heard that. And then, and so did you have confidence that when that pain button's hit now that you will be able to make it through, even though you have that intense emotion? Okay. Yeah. And I think that right there, I have trust yeah, okay. in myself, which that was a big journey, learning how to trust myself, trust my intuition. I trust myself and I trust mm-hmm. my higher power. And so I have no guarantees tomorrow. Luke could go back to acting out. He could say, you know what? I'm done. This was hard. I'm just going to go live this other life. I have no guarantees. He's actively doing things that today that does not feel like that's going to happen tomorrow. But I know that he could walk that path. Anybody could have anything happen. But I am okay because I know at the end of the day, I can trust myself. I can trust God. And then any other tr- trust that Luke has gained, and he's gained a lot. He's done a lot of work. But any other trust that I gain from him now is just mm. bonus. Because I don't need him to be okay for me to know I'm going to be okay. And that is a very, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but that's a really beautiful Okay, and, and I love that. I don't give time frames because then somebody will say if they 
got there sooner, then they'll feel like they missed something. Or if they don't get there by then, then they feel like that something's wrong with them. But look at me setting that up to say, but with that said, how long does that take, Alana? Because I feel like I've got people right now that I, I love the analogy of the box. And I feel like when, when it hits that button, they just say, what am I doing? Why didn't I leave? What am I pretending not to know? He better not ever do that again. And all those things. And I love the way you just put what, where you're at now. It, it depends so much because everyone's story is totally different. The fact that Luke was really working every single day, like I would say, you're earning one day at a time. You've earned today. I'm staying today. And I didn't tell him that on a regular basis, but that's what's happening yeah. in my head. He's earned another day. It Before I got to that place of really trusting myself and beginning to accept trust from him because I could trust myself, I would say we were easily four okay. years in. And when you said earlier, I think you had mentioned a two-year point, a four-year point, and I almost wanted you to throw the the longer number out there because I feel like that just is going to normalize for a lot of people that that it takes a while. And this book, The Buddha Brain, this neuroscience of happiness, and talking about implicit memory, there's one paragraph that I love where uh, the, the author says, so he's saying that much as the body's built from the food you eat, your mind's built from these experiences you have, and the flow of experience gradually sculpts your brain and the shaping of your mind. And he says some of the results are explicitly recalled. This is what I did last summer. This is how I felt when I was in love. But I love he says most of the shaping of your brain remains forever unconscious, and that, that is implicit memory, and it includes your expectations, your models of relationships, your emotional tendencies, and your general outlook. Implicit memory establishes the interior landscape of your mind. <clears throat> Sounds like I'm being choked up, but I'm, uh, I'm <clears throat> maybe I should play into that, right? Hang on. Let me clear it. Let me, let me, let me gather myself. <laughs> I just had to clear it. But, but, and it's right at the good part. So you really do I, exactly. um, but implicit memory establishes the interior landscape of your mind, what it feels like to be you. Based on the, and here's the key, I think, the slowly accumulating residue of lived experience. I love that concept of what it feels like to be you and not, not a great sales pitch. And that happens with slow accumulation of lived experience every time that you're uh, turning back to the present or every time you're doing the work or every time. And I like what you said earlier, Lonnie, you want to look to just listen to a podcast, maybe read a book. He could be done. And did you want that same for yourself? I did. I, I wanted that so badly that I was going to just be fine. Mm -hmm. I remember at the one year wow. D-Day mark and I was a mess that day. And what was interesting is my body was remembering and like amping up to that one year D-Day before my wow. brain even caught up. And that day I remember just feeling so discouraged because I was supposed wow. to be fixed by now. I was supposed to be better. Our marriage, he's been working every single day. I've been working every single day. Like, why are we not better? Which really played into a year and a half in when I said okay. I want a divorce was because I am still in so much pain. And so if I'm in st still so much pain, then why am I here? Because then my brain will, the alternative is I get divorced and then I'm out of pain and then finally mm. I can feel better, which now I can see that there was no easy path. Whether I watched divorce or I stayed invested in the marriage, I still mm -hmm. had the pain of the betrayal that I had to work through. Alana, did you have anybody, and again, I love the fact that you guys are both in this mental health space as well, of where I have people will say, well, what do you think I should do? And, and I say, oh, I don't want that power. Because if, let's say they did say, if I said, well, I think you should leave, now all of a sudden, anytime they go back to this memory, it's going to be, uh, man, I shouldn't have, but Tony told me to. Did you have those, I wanted somebody to tell me what to do moments? Yeah. It, well, it started oh, with yes. God. In the very beginning, it was 
God, tell me what to do. And the only sense of any type of clarity or answer I got was I got this message of wait. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can walk this path. I can walk this path. I can do anything. Just tell me what to do. And I just got this deep wow. feeling of wait. So that was my first non-answer that I was super pissed about. And then same thing, going to the therapist. And I really did expect the therapist to tell me, look, he's not changing, mm-hmm. like get out. Or the therapist to say, hey, he's really working on mm-hmm. it. You're good. You're safe. I wanted so bad someone to tell me that. And I will tell you, I have plenty of friends and family who gave opinions. I, I had tons of friends and family who are like, once a cheater, always a cheater, like get out. Or some going, but you, you really know him. I know him. You need to stay. And I learned very quickly that there was going to be no yeah. right answer that everybody. I love it. I call that the psychology of the peanut gallery. And man, if you look at even that itself, there are people that don't have an mm-hmm. opinion, but when they're asked, then, well, I better give an opinion. So I'll come up with one here in this millisecond and now I'll express it. And now if somebody's looking for external validation. Now they're basing their worth off of somebody that just said, Oh, uh, I don't know. I think you should leave him. Oh, really? So I think that's boy, that is a tough place, but I like the weight. I do. I appreciate that so much. Luke, did you feel that entire time I'm staying or did you have times where you ever went through and I'm leading the witness right now, Luke, I've got somebody in mind that had gone through that, right? They'd gone through this period and maybe you can just tell me if you ever felt this or not, but they went through a period where then they, when they would see their wife be so hurt where they felt like it's the right thing for me to do to leave because I can't, I can't have her go through this. What were your feelings around that time or that yeah i've seen i've seen a lot of it to add to a couple of those i've seen the marriages be tough to begin with and the guy's like i, I can't do this i just want out there's this is just going to be too much just so many different ways yeah for me it was you know even in my even my addiction and all my acting out with other people i never wanted it's, it's kind of it's gross to say but i never wanted to be with anybody else i always wanted to be with yeah. it's just my my addiction ruled my experience of my mismanagement of emotion, my need for validation showed up with other mm-hmm. women and it was toxic. So I didn't want to be with anybody else, never did. So when everything came out, I was just praying and hoping that it would <clears throat> stay with her. However, there was a un- very unhealthy part of this, which was I wanted, I also couldn't share my reality of what I didn't like about our relationship, mm. what I wasn't okay, okay with. You know, there was times my therapist said, hey, Luke, you got to share your resentment. I'm like, I don't resent anything. She's good. She hasn't done anything wrong. Why would I resent her? And he probably rolled his eyes, but it didn't. At least I didn't see it. And so there was that part of the marriage of things that I wasn't happy with and I didn't like, but I didn't bring up. And those actually did. Okay. Okay. Goodness. Well, and I'm smiling as you're talking because I remember this Mm -hmm. conversation and he came to me and he said, my therapist said, I need to start sharing my resentments. And I was like, uh, excuse me, you don't have room to have resentments. Do you know yeah. what you've done? You don't get to have resentments. You don't get to have problems. At one point he said, I don't know that I trust you with my feelings. Oh, and that's like, okay. That sent me over the top of like, you, you don't trust me. <laughs> but so this, I think was actually a really important part mm. of our marriage healing was us learning how to have hard yeah. conversations us learning how to be vulnerable, vulnerable with each other and to face hard because before we went through all of this, we were totally Mm -hmm. sweeping everything under the rug. And as part of sweeping that under the rug, we thought we were good. 
we're good. We're good. We have no problems. We don't fight. Mm-hmm. And what we learned is a healthy marriage actually. Oh, no, I was about to brag and seek your guys' external validation. I was going to say after, I, 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 feel, I feel like I think in promoting my marriage course, I say, I think I'm up to, I don't know, 11, 1200 couples now. And I wanted to make the joke of, and, but I've never heard that before, Alana, that you guys have been sweeping these things under the rug, right? It's like, oh, everyone does that. And I always say that we're so afraid of contention. We avoid tension altogether, but that is where that growth occurs. And that, man, we don't understand that we start out as all codependent and mesh. And we think that's, well, that's what the way it works. And so when we start to find ourselves and differentiate and I feel it does almost feel counterintuitive to wait that's the healthy version where we might disagree though and then we may not end up having sex because they may be frustrated I think that stuff is so so fascinating but what were you going to say Luke after you tell me that that was amazing what I said uh go ahead <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I, I took a lot of notes I would like that part of the recording sure. highlighted it right. would be fantastic You know, I'm pretty passionate about this part. And if I have any smiles that come up, it's out of the place of remembering the pain and being grateful for what Alana and I have been through for something that's so much healthier and so rewarding. Okay, so I show up to Alana and say, hey, I have to share some resentments. And I don't know if I feel safe sharing these with you because I don't know what's going to happen. So I want to I want to have Alana's back here for a minute as I talk about this. Yeah, if I was her, I would have been kicked. Like, I would have been, are you kidding me? Like, you cheat on me, you put me through hell, and now you want to share with me what you have a problem with? Like, validate that 100%. Really quick. Yeah. When we're talking about this, this was significantly into some recovery work. Okay. If this would have happened in the first six months, Mm -hmm. this probably would have been game-changing, ending marriage stuff. This was with the foundation of both of us doing quite a bit of work. I think that's probably a place where we're stuck. It was a place where we were stuck in because I had sobriety. We were doing check-ins. She was doing her work. I was doing mine. We were trying to come back as a couple. You know, there was some safety that's been rebuilt. So, yeah, thank you for saying that, Alana, because you have some guy sharing resentments right after he shares his, his crap. You know, oh, let's yeah. talk. So if you get this part of just validating Alana having those feelings, but what I want to say is, is that women are asking for honesty. They're asking for transparency. They're asking for authenticity. They're asking for integrity. Probably not going to be always well received Mm -hmm. and liked, and that's okay. You know, that's okay, but it's part of that healthy relationship. It's the thing that they should have had the whole time. They're just getting it at a really crappy time in their marriage. They just, it was never a part of the deal that should have been healthy to begin with. I mean, there's a part of me going, men, like after you've been doing your work, Show up and be authentic, but do it in yeah. the right way. Do it in a way that's not damaging. Don't be asking somebody else to own your own stuff through the experience. And then the women, I guess, speaking to them, Tony, this might be the wrong way to put it. Well, it's my way to put it so you can help clean this up. That's what you want. Like, that's what you want. You want the authenticity. And even if it's ugly and crappy to hear, that's what we're hoping for as a milestone yeah. in the journey. The, the, there is resentment being shared. There is truth being shared that honestly is just super uncomfortable because it's not a well i love what you the way you frame that luke because we go back to alana saying i want honesty and then i and i appreciate yeah if that happens in the first who knows how long i'm throwing something at the guy in the office trying to get that to stop but at some (laughs) point though i like what you're saying if it's the i want honesty but just not that you can have love or control in an adult relationship so at that point are we kind of seeping back over into Okay, well, I want more control than love. I want honesty, but not not that kind. So, Alana, and we just had two guys giving this uh, thing about, here's how the wife should feel. So you can 
clean that up? Or what do you think? Well, control is <laughs> control is one of those words that I think for a lot of women holds a mm. lot of okay. feeling. That word can be a trigger word. And a lot of the women I've worked with have said, like, in her safety seeking, she's being told she's uh, controlling. In yeah. her hypervigilance, she's being told she's controlling. And because I'm the betrayed, I think I have a little more freedom yeah. to speak that there was a very real part of me that in my needing some sense of control, some sense of stability, I was grasping for any type of control and power. And I didn't want to let go of any because I felt so unstable. And really for all of these years, I looked through the world through this lens of Mm. I could control If I just say this to Luke, he's going to get it. If I say it in this way, if I do it in this way, or if I raise my kids in this way, I really believed I had all of this. I had a very false sense of control in my life that I could control all of these other people's lives and stories and outcomes. And so part of my healing journey was learning actually how little control I have and letting go of that sense of control which was a really scary terror. What, what yeah. you just said there is so beautiful because we've all had the women in that spot working through this. And there's a, a guy who says um, it's like jumping out into the abyss and finding out that there's a feather bed. Do you feel like it's more comfortable to not have that expectation of control? Yes. Okay. A thousand percent. Yes. Because where I was owning his story or his life choices and what were they saying about me and how his choices were defining me or my children or my parents or, you know, whoever in my life, I was carrying weight for all of their stories and their choices and their feelings. And so there was, I was trying to carry all of my stuff and all of their stuff. And it was exhausting. So learning how to let other people be differentiated to be separate was so freeing because now all of a sudden I could let go of the outcome. I could let go of their feelings and I could manage myself in such a healthier way because I wasn't trying to do it all. Okay. I love that. There's another, there's another clip. Uh, that, that one's going to be brilliant. That is, Hey, if you guys have about 10 more minutes, I mean, I would love to, all right. So where, what do you, I mean, I would love for you to weave in things you're doing now, how you feel like it's helped you in the work you're doing. What are maybe some tips or advice that you would give couples? Because I, I cannot wait to release this because I feel like you talked about all the hard things, the separations, the going through divorce or feelings of divorce or the control piece or the, I mean, there's so much good here. I don't know. What do you, well, I guess I was going to say, you guys have done this a bunch. Give me the big finish. Where do, where do you, how do you put a bow on all of this? None. Right? No pressure. Big finish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead, Alana. <laughs> oh, shoot. Today, I think it, if I could wrap it up. Well, okay. I'll say what we're doing okay. right now currently. So over the last couple of years, we have organically started a company that actually was never our intention. I started seeing clients. Luke started seeing clients. Then we had a couple of other people come to us, coaches and therapists who wanted to start working together. And naturally, we built this company called Choose mm-hmm. Recovery Services that helps individuals and couples heal from betrayal, trauma, and sexual addiction. And that's been really fun because it's almost like its own train just going down the tracks. And we're like, we've just jumped along for the ride. It's been really exciting 
to see that happen. We also work for another company called Life Changing Services, which I am really passionate. I'll speak just to the women's program because that's what I had. But it is a program that the men's program pays for every woman to have six months of betrayal trauma groups led by a therapist and totally free. And for that, I can't tell you how many women I've met who, and I was one of these where I'm like, put the money in him, put the money in him, go get him fixed. He's the problem. We need to fix the problem. And they don't see the need for their own healing, yet there's so much healing that needs to be done. And so we have these groups where I want to say we're running 30-something groups all online where these women for six months can receive this therapeutic support in this type of group. And so that I'm so passionate about just giving women resources. And then after the six months, they can stay longer Mm. if they want to pay for it. And those women who stay longer help pay for more women to get the help, which even that, I think there's something really beautiful and women helping women. And so the resources are out there, but so many individuals just don't. So wait, I mean, honestly, plug away. It'll be in show notes and I will start you guys. My, my amazing helper now, Naomi is putting together a tons of resources that for the people that reach out to me just through emails. And so obviously you guys are a big part, going to be a big part of that. Where do people go for that alone, Alana? The So for the worth program, it's healingwithworth.org. So they can go to that. And Naomi is wonderful. Naomi works with Worth and as well, she helps with Worth in a volunteer role. And so healingwithworth.org. And then the program that pays for the Worth program is Luke's program that he's over, the Men and Moroni program. And what's super cool about that is just simply these, well, I'll let you talk about it, Luke. I'm just really passionate about the services. You sound great. I feel like you should just keep going. Okay. Yeah, the Minamoroni program was actually designed after and merely mirrored the Sons of Helaman mm-hmm. program. Sons of Helaman's for youth, male youth. And then Minamoroni was like the dads of the sons mm-hmm. that were getting healing were like, wait, okay. what about us? We'll start one for men. So I oversee that program. We, we have, I don't know, I don't know, 500 men in wow. the program. It's mostly states, but worldwide. And it's, it's what pays for, and I find this to be so wonderful. It's what pays for yeah, the women's that's, I had no idea. So the men that pay for that program, we, yeah, we give that to the women's program, and which is cool because when women are over there going like, you go get your healing, then he gets his healing, but ultimately she can step in and get her healing once she realizes the pain is too much like Alana talked about already. And the concept of that program is it's threefold. It's camaraderie. You know, it's the, I will develop getting shame resilience by showing up with other men that you see as, wow, these guys aren't creeps. They don't drive white vans without windows and yeah. kids. Yeah. They're yes. all human beings. Like, so what does that say about me when I've had this similar situation and they've learned to love and fight side by side with each other. And we get in the weeds, the details, like some groups out there, like share shy away from details. Don't talk about those. No, we get in the weeds. Like we're going to mm-hmm. share our stuff. And, but the whole concept behind it is, you know, you're not the enemy. We have one on one enemy, whether it's, you want to, if you're Christian, you know, that it's the, mm-hmm. it's the adversary. It's the devil that steps into your brain and suggests things, which are, you're stupid. You're incapable. You can't, you're never going to get this right. 
And it's recognizing that he's saying things because not because you're incapable or stupid, but actually you have something really wonderful to yeah. offer the world and he needs to keep you neutralized. And if he can keep you neutralized, then you're not going to be able to be. In fact, you'll, it'll be easier to target other people in your family because you'll basically mm. be numb. And that concept for me was big. I'm like, well, wait, I'm actually capable. And to start understanding some of that language is going through my head. You know, the rest of the world, you could call that, you know, the shame piece. You would call that just the yeah. addict brain, call it what you want, but you're more than capable. It's that concept and understanding. And then what I noticed, so I'll kind of lead into this, is we have one, Choose Recovery Services, which steps in also with what I'm very passionate about is, is after the after getting sober, the, your problems right. don't go away. You know, your your wife's still in pain. You know, you're, you still hate your job. You know, your your boss is still mean. You know, you're still at a weight that you don't like. You know, you're, you're like, what the heck? I thought, where's the rainbows? Where's the unicorns? Like, I'm, I'm frustrated. But yeah, just the pornography itself wasn't a problem. It was a solution to my problems that I don't know how to handle myself. So a place in Choose Recovery Services creates groups for the mismanagement oh, like and the... Uh, Dealing with toxic toxic masculinity as a male, like what were you taught that made you go, oh, I can't feel or feelings are uncomfortable or just be tougher. But men experiencing the value emotions. And I love the men that are in these groups because they're yeah. digging it. They love it. You know, they got men that can feel and, and applaud and cheer other men along in their journey of healing and sharing emotion and valuing it. So cool. Okay, I love that. No, that's so you guys have all the bases covered. And because the Sons of Helaman is for youth, right? Which I love that too. I was telling Mm -hmm. Luke before we hit record that I just referred somebody there a couple of days ago. And so I love that these resources are available. And I've never, I didn't realize the women's stuff was funded by the men's stuff. That just seems right. It does. I really like hearing that. Just kind of yeah. validating. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that from a, a you know, a men are horrible. But I feel like it just feels like the right way to give back. It feels like the right thing to do. I can only imagine, Luke, that's got to feel empowering. Because I feel like when a guy doesn't know what he doesn't know, and he does learn more and then becomes aware, back to that reference of the Bruce Willis movie, it's like, oh, man, I go back and review the movie. And wow, I really wish I could do it over wow. again. Right. But I will plug, it's not an organization, Life Change Services, but for that if you're Christian, and especially if you're LDS, if you're in that journey of like, I don't know what's going on. I need somewhere to start. It's a basic place of being able to give some applicable tools on what do I do next and somebody that takes you by the hand and yeah. leads you through it. It's not vague. It's very descriptive on the, here's the process, here's the path, here's the pattern go about this. And that's what I found really enjoyable. Um, Okay. Uh, Luke, Alana, what a joy. This was everything I hoped it would be and a whole bunch more. I'll have all the links and everything. And I appreciate you guys being my first couple that I've ever interviewed in five years, which is silly, but your story is amazing. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks everyone for joining. Awesome episode, right? A great one to share. As you can see from this episode, healing is really a journey that needs to be handled with care and taking those basic steps to healing and practicing them is so important. 
whether you are new to betrayal or not, really deep diving into those foundational principles of healing and practicing those tools will really help you along the way. That's why I created the foundational healing class that you can join in on and learn these principles in depth. If you are interested, head over to choosecoveryservices.com because as always, we want to continue to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.